Episode 231 of the Pilot the Pilot podcast takes off now. Fly with Garmin Avionics, then grab your mobile device and make the Garmin Pilot app your cockpit companion. Get advanced functions you'll use before, during, and after every flight, including updating your aircraft's databases and logging engine data, plan, file, fly, log with Garmin Pilot. The Pilot to Pilot podcast is brought to you by The Finer Points. They have an amazing ground school app for the knowledge you need to fly. To learn more, visit learnthefinerpoints.com. Avian Nation, what is going on? And welcome back to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. My name is Justin Seams and I am your host. I'm currently in Eagle right now. I'm out of breath. High altitude. Been running around, walking around. It's day seven. Uh, it's go home day. I'm not getting in until really late. But today's episode is with Reed, agriculture pilot. He does some of the coolest flying. You need to follow him on Instagram. It is an old episode, but it's one that needs to come back up because crop dusting is just, just amazing to me. Uh, what he does is cool. He's a good dude, solid person, and it's a solid episode. So I hope you enjoyed today's episode. I'm going to be at Oshkosh. I have two meetups. I'm going to be with Garmin on Tuesday between 10 and 11, I believe, maybe 1130. Check out their post on my post. And I'm also going to be doing RAA. The cool thing with RAA, we are going to be doing a live recording with anyone that comes up. We'll talk for five, 10 minutes and we'll just go on to the next person. So you want to stay on the lookout for that one because the RAA meetup will be pretty sweet. And then I'll post that later. So you have the opportunity to be on the podcast just by coming up and saying hi at the RAA booth. So come on out and uh, make sure to say hi and uh, spend some time with the RAA people. They're great people. But Aviation, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And without any further ado, here's Reed Kahey. What is going on, Reed? Welcome to the Pilot the Pilot podcast. How you doing, man? Doing good, Justin. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no problem. I'm excited to talk with you. I think you are the first of your kind, if I should say, on here. I've never talked to an ag, ag pilot, so I think it'll be interesting. I look forward to it, man. Yeah, man. So let's uh, let's start from the beginning. What was the uh, general appeal to aviation for me from the beginning? Man, to be honest, I have grown up in it. Uh, my, I'm a third-generation ag pilot. My uh, grandpa started the business in '65 uh, or so uh, in our area, I believe it was. And uh, after that, my dad took over. Uh, once he got old enough, he started flying, and then bought out uh, bought out his dad. And then uh, now I'm I'm the chief pilot and uh, operator of uh, Kehi Flying Service now. And, uh, before, before we, uh, you know, doing this podcast, I asked my dad, I said, how many, how many Cahees are actually pilots? And so we got to thinking and he had to count them off and we figured out there are at least 10. Oh, dang. Uh, some, uh, you know, some of my close family, uh, in this area. And then there's some up in Arkansas that actually uh, uh, were ag pilots too in Arkansas. Dang. And uh, I've got uh, cousins and uh, distant relatives that are that are all pilots too. That's cool. So it's it's definitely seems to be in the family blood that uh, as soon as one of the Kehis are born, there's a good chance they're gonna end up in a cockpit. <laughs> Possibly, yeah. yeah. And uh, and my son, he's 
he's looking like that kind of, like he might be the next step <laughs> because he's uh fired up about airplanes most That's of the time. Awesome. So did you grow up uh in airplanes all the time then, like going for rides when you were younger, or did that start a little later? Oh, uh, it was from the get go. Uh let's see here. My dad, he um he had a couple bonanzas when I was growing up. Uh and before I was in school, I'd, I'd hang out at the airport, and uh, it was what we called the good old days, I guess. And uh, we uh, we would actually hop in the Bonanza and go have lunch with his friend in Houston. And, uh, and of course, I'd probably sleep there and back. But I remember <laughs> being a little kid, you know, flying and going and eating with his friend Grant. That's and, awesome. Uh, we uh he also had a T six for a little while. Him and Dang. a him and a friend went in on a T six and uh I was I was too young to actually enjoy it and it was probably one of those things where it was just like super loud and almost intimidating. <laughs> yeah. But I kicked myself for not not really enjoying it. <laughs> I I mean a T six is intimidating to me right now, so I can't imagine what it was like when you, know, you were younger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's cool. Yeah. I mean most of the people I talk to, aviation has been in the blood. So, I mean, it's definitely something that is handed down. And I talked about it in a previous podcast. I don't know if it's out yet. I don't know when I'm releasing this. I don't know if it's out yet. But <laughs> we were just talking about how easy it is to just keep aviation in the blood and how sometimes we as a community don't always reach out to new people. Do you think that that's something that the aviation community can do a better job of, of maybe like inviting new people out? Or do you think that we do a pretty good job as is? I think uh I think we could we could find better ways of, of reaching out maybe uh you know I know on your podcast you know you talk about you know you cover so many different aspects of aviation that people don't even you know and some of the people that you interview they're like I didn't know that's a possibility <laughs> and so it's like you know just maybe get a little bit more information out there I don't know I would have to think about it and figure out how to do it. But, right. uh, you know, even, even whether it's working at Boeing or, uh, you know, or any factory like that, you know, I mean, that's your, it could be a foot in the door to get into. Oh, exactly. And aviation for sure. Cause yeah. once you start hanging on airplanes, you're like, okay, well now I want to fly. <laughs> I know. Right. Yeah. Once you get around airplanes, it's just a natural progression to be like, well, Hey, let's, uh, let's jump in that cockpit and go take it for a spin, you know? And then, then the bug comes and then you are just going down a rabbit hole of aviation for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, for sure. That's and awesome. We've got pictures of, of me and my brothers sitting, uh, my my grandpa had a super cub and so we've got pictures of me and my brother like just sitting in the super cub uh and then he had a my dad had a friend that had a husky and we would sit in the husky and pretend fly in the hangar and all this stuff <laughs> so just <laughs> and then i would i've probably uh logged over a thousand hours on flight sim oh, so <laughs> It's a. Uh, I used to sit there and play flight sim all the time. What would you do with flight sim? Would you actually like fly like Las Vegas to New York or L.A. to Charlotte or whatever? Or would you just like mess around and fly around? Well, first it started off with uh, I think it was uh, flight sim ninety eight maybe or something like that. Yeah, and 
what's the field in Chicago that you would always start out on? Is that uh, Megs? Megs, yeah. yeah. I would always start out there, and usually I would get the extra 300 and <laughs> Good take choice. it off. Yeah, and I would do uh, my and my uh, my grandma makes a comment. She says, "I knew you were going to fly because you always got on flight sim." <laughs> uh, and I would get on there and I would do it on uh, tower view, and I would just buzz the tower back and forth or like try <laughs> to fly it, and not. Of course, I'd probably crash more than anything, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, I would just buzz around there, fly in between buildings or something like that. That's so. awesome. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, a lot of people I talked to, they they specifically talked about Flight Sim 98, and they talked about Meg's Field, too. So you're not alone in that. It's uh, it's really funny how I think like um, the 90s generation or even the 80s generation kind of Flight Sim definitely helped pique some interest and make it seem like, hey, this is kind of cool, you know? So. Flight Sim and now X Plane and whatever the other competitors are are doing a great job and a good service for the aviation community. Oh, definitely, for sure. So, uh, what was your training like? When did how old were you when you were actually like flying to to get ratings? If it makes sense, like not maybe I know there's like the regulations, but when did you? Was it like 13 when you started like actually like your dad was letting you fly around a little bit and you're getting some good knowledge? Yep. Yeah, uh I remember being younger. I, I can't remember. I was, I may have been like 13 or 14, you know, something like that. And uh, he had a, a friend there, had a 172 at the airport. And we would, you know, kind of go around and stuff. And we'd, you know, every now and then we'd hop up and go look at the crops or something like that or just look at the area. And uh, he would let me control it some. And then um, we got into... You know, once I got a little bit older, he was like, yeah, you know, let's let's try to take off and land. Let's just work <laughs> on this. Yeah. And so we, uh, you know, of course, that was kind of uh, had me nervous, you know, but at the same time, I uh, feel like I did all right. You know, of course, he had to help me out some just because I'm just now learning it. And we're in a 172, which is probably the easiest thing to fly. So. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but then uh, I was you know, kind of, I really didn't get into it that much, uh, when I was younger, which I, I really wish I, I would have, I wish I would have started at like 16 and like really, you know, dedicated my time to it. Uh, I guess so I could be a little further along now, yeah. but, uh, but, uh, then in 2008, probably, uh, I was probably, 20 or so, uh, 19 or 20, I started training, uh, out here at Monroe, uh, and, uh, met, I, I started working at the FBO there and got to know the flight instructors. And, uh, my flight instructor was a guy named John major, super nice guy and just thrilled to death. And he kind of, he knew of my family, so he was like, "Man, you've got av gas running through your veins." So <laughs> he was like, "So let's just go, let's yeah. just have fun." And uh, I, I hit it pretty hard there for a little bit. I soloed at like eight hours or so, I think. Oh, dang, that's impressive. Uh, oh man, it was well. The solo part was nerve wracking as I'll get out. Uh, we we went up first and, and did just a little practice run and stuff and went through some things. And, uh, so then end up, my parents came out there, uh, 
my grandparents, they were all out there. And me working at the uh, FBO, one of the uh, managers was like, hey, if y'all want to, he's landed on runway four so we can go down there on the ramp towards the end. Not only that, but when we got done uh, doing our little practice run and stuff, me doing some touch and goes, a C-130 gets in the traffic pattern. Oh, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's and I was like, "Good guy." And I think it was August. It was it was super hot. I remember that. At first, I was sweating because it was hot and sweating nervous. But uh, yeah, C one thirty got in the traffic pattern, so everything yeah took off and started uh, you know going through the traffic pattern. And at one point, uh, yeah, all I was thinking was like, "Okay, let me." stay as far away from the C-130 as I can <laughs> and make the slowest traffic pattern so I don't uh, catch up with him or anything. Well, uh, That's hilarious. At, at one point, I was on the downwind leg, and they said, uh, 5311 Delta, can you do a uh, right 360? And uh, I was like, sure. So I did a right 360 and then got back on my heading and uh, – I go a little bit further, and the C one thirty is on final. And they said, uh, five three one with Delta, go ahead and do another right three sixty. We don't <laughs> want to get you out too far." And my instructor had already called the tower and told him that I was solo. And yeah, uh, so he was like, "Yeah, we don't want you to fly out too far. So just uh, do another right three sixty. So did that, and uh, you know, proceeded a little bit. And then the by then the C one thirty was already uh on the upwind leg and so uh so i came on in and you know did my touch and goes and they were it was probably some of the smoothest landings i've ever had so i was oh, pretty awesome. pleased with that it's amazing what nerves and kind of if you can use the nerves to your advantage like you're you're on your game and it's like kind of when it's a high crosswind it's usually one of the better landings you have because you're so invested in the landing you're like all right <laughs> You're just like your body's in tune with what's going on. You just know what to do. You put it down. And sometimes on a calm day, you might like, like oh, it's just calm. And you come down and slam it on in. Yeah, you think, no wind. I'm just going to grease this landing in. And also it's like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that's embarrassing. Everyone's watching. And whenever you have a bad landing, everyone is watching. Everyone's there. The family picnic is happening. The family reunion is happening. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, are you kidding me? There was one time I was at, uh, when I flew for Priority Air Charter through the PC-12, the, um, the family owns the airport. So it's a restricted airport. It's a privately owned airport in Ohio. Okay. And it's about 3,500 feet long with trees and power lines over the place. It's a, it's a difficult runway to come in and out of. And we we're landing uh, runway one and I was coming in to land and I was, everything was perfect. Like I was going to touch down like the shortest touchdown you could ever imagine. Like I knew all the pilots were there. So I was like, all right, let's go. We got this, Justin. This is going to be the best landing ever. <laughs> and then I don't know what happened. I was, I was getting ready to touch down and just like, I just took my mind off it for one second. And then my buddy there, he was like, yeah, I've never seen anyone land before the numbers, on the numbers and after the numbers. <laughs> <laughs> and then as, as I was rolling down, Literally, the whole family tree of the owners were there. Like the great grandpa, the grandpa, the grandson, <laughs> the father, the owner. Like everyone was on the grass watching me. And I was like, You got to be kidding me. Yeah, they're so, like, Man, you're letting this guy fly your airplane? I know. It's like, <laughs> I was like, They're going to come out and talk to me and be like, Yo, what was that? But nothing ever came out of it. But it was just really funny. Whenever you have a bad landing, someone is there to watch it. When you have that good greaser, 
the captain either takes credit for it or no one's there to watch it. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, I, a friend of mine down in South Texas, he, uh, they operate near the Harlingen airport. Yeah. And, uh, they also have the, F, uh, one of the FBOs there, uh, at the Harlingen airport. Well, he was bringing in, uh, one of their air tractors into the, into the airport. And he said there was like a 737, like holding, waiting for him to come in or something <laughs> like that. And he was like, yeah, I was just kind of thinking, yeah, I'm in this air tractor. I'm just going to slow it down and just show him what a good smooth tailwheel landing is. He's like, man, I'll bark those tires and bounce <laughs> it all over the place. <laughs> it happens. It happens to the best of us. That's funny. That's right. Uh, so if you have a bad landing, don't worry about it. That famous saying, uh, if you can walk away from it, then it's a good landing. But I think that's a little bit of bull crap because every landing should be good. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. I, yeah, yeah. I strive to have the best landing yeah. every time. <laughs> that's for sure. So you soloed at eight hours. That is incredibly quick. I can't even remember how soon I soloed, but um, what was the rest of your training like? Did you have any hiccups at all? Check rides, flight instructors? It sounded like you had a pretty good one from the get-go. Did you stick with him the whole time? Oh, yeah, man. Uh, he... Uh, he was he was great, and it was always like just like flying with a friend and him teaching me and stuff. So it was it was really good, and we talk all the time, you know, even to this day. And we see each other, we pass each other in town sometimes, and uh, and we'll call and talk with each other, but uh, and see him at air shows and stuff like that. But uh, uh, I hit it pretty hard, and then for a little bit, I was in school at the same time, going to ULM, uh, majoring in aviation. And, uh, like any other college kid, I don't really care to go to classes and <laughs> I wasn't, uh, I wasn't really invested in getting a degree and stuff. It, and it, I really wasn't happy being in school. Uh, so I was trying to work on my schooling and I slacked off on flying. Well, then, I, uh, eventually I was like, okay, I'm a, We'll work, you know, just start working more. And uh, about that time, my dad was like, hey, you know, you want to come work for me? And I was like, sure. So, <laughs> um, so ended up dropping out of school, but then I continued working at the FBO and then working for my dad some too at the same time and uh, got back into it. And I had to re-solo, which didn't really uh, – take too much yeah. and uh because it it was i can't remember how long it was that i kind of you know didn't fly much at all and then had to get back into it i can't remember the time span but uh got back into it and then shortly after that did my uh private check ride and that went great uh i, I don't think we had any hiccups on it uh then after that my dad, he was kind of looking at buying an airplane and stuff and also working with me, building up tailwheel time. And we could also fly it, kind of doing some, you know, ag flying maneuvers and stuff like that. Uh, and so uh, also work on, you know, turns, coordination and all that stuff. And so he bought a Cessna 180. And that thing, that was my other girlfriend. <laughs> so, uh, I loved it. It was, it was, a, it was squirrely on the ground and it was one of those, you got to fly it to the hangar yeah. pretty much. 
and uh, let's see here. And it, I think it was a uh, two hundred thirty-five horse or so, something like that. Oh, damn! Uh, and so I had to uh, had to kind of get used to the squirreliness and also the horsepower. Whenever you, you know, when you put the throttle to that thing, it's wanting to it's wanting to turn for sure, wanting to get away from you. So, uh, so anyway, flew it. And our plan was for me to get about 200 hours in it and just, you know, get used to it. So, uh, did that. And in the middle of getting all that tailwheel time, I, yeah, I'd end up going to uh, one of his friends and get my tailwheel endorsement. And, uh, so when we would take the plane for an annual down at, uh, our friends at Lane Aviation in, uh, Rosenberg, Texas, mm-hmm. uh, we uh one time we were headed down there everything everything was going great man my dad sitting there flying next to each other he's in the air tractor i'm in the 180 and uh we get near the way we go down there just to stay kind of clear of the airspace and the class bravo we would go on the north side of houston and then come around on the west side and we would drop down below the class bravo and just fly along okay and uh so before we got there well about the time we turned north of conroe uh to start heading south i asked my dad i said does it does it smell like something's burning around here to you <laughs> Uh-oh. and uh <laughs> he said no nah, i can't smell anything and i said huh all right and uh then all of a sudden up from the instrument panel I see smoke come up, oh, no. and I was, uh, I was like, "Good gosh, this is not good." And so, I radioed my dad up and I said, "Hey, I got some smoke in the cockpit." And he was like, "He said, all right, well, just open the window and get it out of there." And which was probably the wrong thing because it ended up just the air circulation just fueled it. <laughs> and so then I messaged him. Uh, Radioed him back. I said, I looked under the instrument panel on the uh, co-pilot side, and I saw uh, I saw a glow under the uh, under the instrument panel, and I was like, Oh, good lord, we got a fire! So, <laughs> we're, we're going down. <laughs> yeah. So I, I radioed him up. I said, Hey, I said this thing. I said this. It's on fire. So he was like, Oh God! So then he was in front of me, and he banked super hard to the left, and was probably going to black out from the G's he was pulling because he was, <laughs> he was coming around quick and, uh, he was wanting to just see if he could see it from the outside. Yeah. And, uh, and then he turned, he was like, well, where are you? I said, I was right behind you. So then he was like, you got to slow down a little bit. Cause I could, he couldn't catch up with me. He was already almost redlining trying to get back up with me. Oh dang. And, uh, so he, he couldn't see anything. And I said, it's inside. And then there was a pasture there, and I said, do you want me to land on this pasture? I can do that. And uh, he said, no, there's an airport close by. He said, I know I know this area. There's an airport close by. So I zoom in on flight. I had it pulled up in the plane, zoomed in on flight, and I found a little private strip, and I said, it's over to the left. So we bank over to the left, and uh, like you said, in the high-pressure situation, 
I landed so smooth on that grass trip. <laughs> it, it was an air park, uh, Dry Creek Air Park okay. in, uh, in Cypress, Texas, near Houston. And so landed there. He came in behind me, and uh, these guys were by a hangar. So I just ran in. I said, where's the fire extinguisher? And the guy pointed out, and I just grabbed it and took off running. <laughs> and uh, we got the fire put out, and then uh, we luckily – this place had a maintenance shop and stuff. So these guys all start coming around looking and, uh, they end up finding out that the baffle inside the muffler had come apart and stopped up the outlet mm. on the muffler, which then built, built up so much pressure in the muffler itself. that it blew a hole towards the firewall. Oh, dang. Yeah, man, it was, it was terrible. And, um, uh, <laughs> They luckily that there was a fuel line close by and it had uh, some heat hose on it. And he was like, about five more minutes, he would have burned through this. And uh, he said, you didn't have any time left. And I was like, oh, good gosh. Dang, I'm glad you got so, down on the ground. Jeez. Oh, yeah, man. Got on the ground, got the fire out. And I was like, okay. At the time, uh, me and my wife were, were just dating. So I was like, I got to call her because she was she's always nervous about me flying anyway. So. Yeah. I called her and I said, look, I just want to tell you, I'm fine. We had a fire. We're on the ground and it's good. <laughs> and she was like, oh, good gosh, good gosh, and all that stuff. And uh, You're never fine again, I swear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Luckily, she didn't pull that card. Yeah. So, but, uh, but anyway, uh, so me and my dad, he was like, okay, I'm going to go down, go on to uh, – lane aviation and get a plane and come back pick you up and and the guys there the mechanics were like look we'll work on it we'll try to figure out what's going on and uh and we'll we'll see what we can do and so right before my dad took off me and him hugged and we boohooed <laughs> like like little kids man we were just it was just a crazy experience that yeah. it's, it's just hard to Hard to even explain, but it was just like, thank God, everything's okay. Well, we take for granted, I feel like, um, because very rarely does anything ever happen when you fly. And we kind of forget about the fact that we're flying. We're up in the air. We're like 5,000 feet up in the air, depending on mechanical parts and mechanical parts fail all the time. So it's like, exactly you really like generally in anyone's lifetime as a pilot, they're not going to have any issues, but they do happen. And it's something you always have to be prepared for because you never know what is going to happen or when it's going to happen. So you always need to have four flight out or Garmin pilot, whatever you use or a sectional to know where you are to see where the closest airport is. And it's, I'm glad you were able to handle it. Well, it's one of those things that you don't like, you don't think about. So you're just never in the back of your mind, but you had a plan and you got it down and you did a good job. Yeah, man. And and that's what, my dad, he was always like, you, you were calmer than I was in that whole situation. You, <laughs> st- you stayed calm and it goes back to the whole training aspect yeah. of just fly the airplane. Well, you have to stay calm. You know, it's like uh, when yeah. I had the engine failure over West Virginia in the 206, it's like, okay, this situation sucks. We can either freak out and probably 
crashing trees or we can be calm and we can figure out the best place. Because if you're not calm and if you aren't doing your training, then you can't fully see the big picture. You're just going to be focused on one thing and you need to see the whole picture. You need to see speed, altitude. You need to be able to look outside. You need to be able to talk to people. You need to be able to do everything and all at once and so fast. So you have to be calm. That's the only way you'll stay alive in a situation like that. Oh yeah, man. It's, it's, you know, like I was sitting there thinking, all right, here we go. This is happening right now. It sucks, <laughs> but um, I've got a lot more living to do. I can't yeah. freak out. So exactly. Uh, so yeah, man it it was a it was a crazy experience, and uh, and just I was I was glad that I we, you know the outcome was was positive, and uh, so then that day we. Uh, you know, my dad went down, dropped his plane off and came back in the Super Cub and came back and picked me up. And uh, the guys there were like, look, we'll work on it and stuff. And come to find out they had done an engine swap on a 180 like the week before. And the guy had the old mufflers off of that 180. And he was like, yeah, he'll, he said he'll sell them to you. Oh, dang. And so they ended up putting on uh, putting on those mufflers and then like uh, – a week later, we went back and picked it up. That's crazy. And uh, and I flew it, yeah, you know, for a good while after that. So I, it didn't it didn't scare me out of an airplane. That's for sure. Yeah, no, it's good. What would you say the? Um, so when we had the engine failure when we were flying in West Virginia, I would say there was a good like three to five seconds maybe that I was kind of like in shock and was just like, oh my gosh, this is actually happening before I actually like kicked in what I needed to do. Did you think that same thing happened to you where it was like, all right, this is like I, what, what is happening? Like it took you a little bit to get into the training mode or is it just like, boom, this happened. Let's get down. You know, it, in that moment, it was it was almost like Time was flying super fast, but at the same time, it was super slow. Yeah, felt like forever. Uh, but I, I was just like, okay, I'm in, I'm in this plane, this 180 that I, I'm comfortable with, and if I need to land on a road or in a pasture or something, I, I can do it. Yep. So I just need a little bit of room. <laughs> uh, Not much, <laughs> just a little. We're coming yeah. down. Yeah. Yeah, so in that 180, it was it was pretty good at short field stuff. Uh, so I could grab a notch, of, you know, several notch of flaps and slow it down real good if I oh, needed yeah. to. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Let's take a break from today's episode to hear from our sponsor, RAA. If you're like me, you might wonder, am I saving enough for the financial future I want after flying? That's when I check with RAA's free retirement paycheck calculator, and you'll want to as well. Based on a few simple financial factors, I get an instant snapshot of how much I could expect to receive each month in retirement and if I'm falling short of my goals and any adjustments I can make to get my savings strategy back on track. It's quick, easy, and free. Try it today at raa.com slash pilot to pilot. That's pilot, T-O, pilot. So um, let's get into ag pilot. I mean, we I've never talked to an ag pilot before. What is what kind of training do most ag pilots have? Do they do private instrument commercial or do they just do private commercial? What um what are kind of the requirements to be an ag pilot? Uh with uh my dad, he's got his he just went and got private and commercial. Uh and he told me he said, I regret not getting that instrument rating 
and a college degree, I said, I can try to get that instrument rating. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so that was our, our big joke. But uh, I ended up uh, I ended up getting my commercial or get my instrument after I got my commercial because my whole deal was I wanted to uh, I wanted to go ahead and start being able to ag fly and then in my off season go get my instrument rating and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there there's a lot of people, uh, you know, some of the ag pots I know, some of them have ATP ratings and uh, things like that. But they have a couple different schools throughout the country uh, that do. Their main focus is ag flying. So you go in there, you know, and you get your private instrument commercial, knowing that you're going to go into ag flying. So they introduce some ag flying into that. Uh, I was I was lucky enough to have that 180 and stuff and train with my dad some and we just kind of went up and you know we'd talk about things or he would show me you know what I should be looking for as far as you know pulling out of a field getting back onto your your line is or pass as we call it and uh I would the main main thing people do is they will go through full private instrument commercial and uh and then you have to take a 137 uh practical exam or test with just uh competency flight you know they they need to be able to tell that you're operating safely and all that uh and it was is a 137 endorsement and my dad my dad's dad got to sign his log book and make sure he was, you know, sign that he was competent in, uh, in his flying. And so then he got to sign my log book and give me my 137 endorsement. That's cool. Yeah. Super neat. Uh, and so that's basically how we did it was, uh, you know, I just worked with my dad on it and stuff like that. And eventually I got into uh and most people started out with a radial engine. Mm-hmm. I, I was I was fortunate enough. I started out in a turbine uh in a air tractor four oh two with a uh, dash thirty four on it. Okay. And uh I I would like he said he said just run it down the runway, pick up the tail, get the feel for it, and then let it down and just kind of do that a little bit. He said, When you're ready to fly, let me know. I said, okay. So I uh, told him, I said, I'm, I'm ready to go. He said, all right. So we you know, kind of went through a couple things, and I just took off and flew the air tractor around, no no water in it or anything, just uh, just kind of getting the feel for it in the air, and, and that, was, that was pretty much it. And eventually started working into carrying some water. Uh, you know, doing emergency dump training, uh, just because sometimes you know, if, if you get into a situation, you may have to may have to dump it. You got to uh, know how the plane's going to react whenever you get rid of you know four hundred gallons of water. Or so I guess it changes the CG pretty quick. Definitely, <laughs> and the lift for sure. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I luckily I hadn't had to do anything like that. So. Yeah. It's a I've I've had a pretty pretty safe career so far and uh no 
no mishaps really that's, that's awesome would you say most ag pilots are in it for the long run or do you think a lot of them just are building time so they can move on to the next thing oh uh, the majority big majority are in it for the long run yeah. uh you got guys that are uh, you know i think there was a guy around our area that was probably in his early 70s still doing it oh damn. i mean it, and i think don't quote me on this the the average age of an ag pilot is the upper 50s i believe oh really yeah yeah i mean there's a lot of a lot of older guys doing it and not not so many young guys getting into it right now uh well there, there's a lot getting into it but it's just hard to get into it yeah just like any you know aviation job really it's it's almost you know who you know or oh without a doubt how, how hard you're willing to work to to get to that point what's a good um so say someone's listening to this and they want to become an ag pilot like would you recommend they go to the specific school that you're talking about like say you're looking for a new ag pilot to help you out you just got another air tractor you want them to fly how would you tell them to go about their training and what would you look for in training like hour wise and just experience wise? Uh, I would say one of the big things and I know you talk about a lot is just finding a mentor. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, most of the cases you got a guy that working for an operation that really loves the, the business and, Get in with that operation, work as a uh, mixer or loader, um, and let your let your boss know, hey, no, I'm interested in going into flying. So if there's any way we could, you know, work out a deal or something where I work for you, if, you know, try to get some help, you know, because it's flight instruction is a uh, is expensive. So try to get some help through your employer possibly uh if he's willing to work with you or either that or just save up your own money and try to uh get it done that way and uh stick with it and then possibly look into those schools uh, there's a i can't think of all the names of them there's a, a rigging school uh, there's a eagle vista down in uh florida and uh, a couple other ones, I'd have to uh, had to look them up, but they they're specifically for ag flying. That's good. That's what Google's for, and, right? Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Google yeah. and uh, and also anybody could hit me up and and ask me, and I can I can look them up. But uh, nice. then um, yeah, stick with the training and stuff, and and you know you talk about it. Some it's like even though going through training is not fun. You've also got to stick with it and realize I am having fun flying an airplane and working towards a goal and keep that keep that goal in mind of uh, being an ag pilot and remember that it's all all about you know, getting the work done, putting in you know, putting in your dues and making it happen. For sure. Would you say you mentioned that the average age of an ag pilot's around fifty? It might be younger, it might be older. Uh, to me, the first thing that I think of is the pilot shortage and think uh, you don't really think of all the other 
ways of flying that that's going to affect. So those older guys eventually aren't going to want to be ag pilots anymore. And there's going to be a, a large need for that. And do you think the ag world is seeing that right now? Or do you think it's a couple of years off? Uh, I'm not real sure. I think, uh, I think right now we're, we're in a point there's, there's a lot of young guys that are wanting to get into it. Um, but then also there's the old guys that really just love doing it and love, you know, just have the, the huge passion for it that they, you know, they, these guys are still sharp. They're still, you know, getting it done and, um, you know, they don't really have any quit in them. So, uh, <laughs> that's funny, you know, but, but most of the time, like, like my dad, he, he did it for 35 years or so. And he was just kind of like, look, you know, and, and my dad also farms too. So he was, he was in the middle of, you know, running the flying service and then also running his farming operation, which, oh, dang. Can, you know, so it worked out pretty good where, uh, where I, I got to just, you know, ease my way into it. And then, uh, and th- that way now he's, he's not worried about the flying service and he can, you know, focus on his farm. So, yeah. um, uh, I tell him, I don't, I don't want you in the airplane thinking about the farm. So, right. um, uh, but right now there's, there's a, I feel like there's not really, uh, I don't think there's a shortage of ag pilots now because there's there's definitely some people still out there searching for a job. That's that scared. Yeah, you know, trying to get that, trying to get that seat, get that foot in the door. Uh, you know, at any operation, and and I had a uh, had a young guy come up to me, and and he really wants to get in the business, and I was like, man, I, you know, he said I didn't come to you expecting you to hire me or anything. He said I just need some advice, and I said. Well, said around here, you know, sometimes you may have to move off for it. Um, and, and some of it is, you know, it's a seasonal job. So, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I said, uh, I can throw your name out there and ask some guys if they're, if they're hiring. And, uh, and I mean, he wasn't a, uh, he wasn't a pilot just yet, but he's, he's working towards it and, uh, and has that, has that dream of being an ag pilot. And, uh, and I had a friend in Florida who messaged me and was like, man, we, we need some pilots, you know? So uh, a couple of their guys went to the airlines. One of them was flight instructing or, or got a corporate job, something. And so he said, you know, we need, we need some pilots. You think you can get in touch with some people and help us out? And I said, sure. <laughs> Absolutely. So I, yeah. yeah. So I got on, uh, I got on Facebook and, and a couple of the different, uh, crop crop dusting uh facebook pages we have uh, i put it out there and said hey got an opportunity in florida uh, i don't know much of the information but i can give you a contact and so i with that i think probably 10 people hit me up trying to trying to go down there nice uh and, and i think maybe a they were looking for like two or three pilots, I think. So, uh, any one of the guys that, that hit me up on Facebook or something like that, I just, I relayed the message and said, here's a contact, uh, you know, give them a call, ask for such and such. So, uh, you know, try to help out somebody get a job somewhere. Absolutely. 
So take me through a day in the life of an ag pilot from like the moment you wake up, what time you at normally wake up, when you start flying, how many flights you do, just like a, a typical day so they can get kind of a gist of what it's like being an ag pilot. Yeah. Um, and with you and I trying to schedule this, you can tell it's, <laughs> it's, it's not much of a plan to it. Sometimes, sometimes it just happens, but, yeah. uh, now usually, um, I, I plan my wake ups, I guess, around the sunrise. And I say, okay, I need to wake up an hour before, uh, yeah, hour to hour and a half before sunrise so I can get ready, get to the airport. And at sunrise, I can be ready to fly if I have something going on. Um, and usually, you know, on a, say, on a day that I have, uh, you know, some work to do, um, I'll go down. You know, I'm constantly looking at the weather the night before, day of the. You know, while I'm doing the job, I'll, I'll or, you know, while I'm, you know, working, I'll keep on checking the weather, trying to see what the wind's doing, where it's, you know, what it's forecasted to be. Um, so get down to the airport. We open up the hangar and get the plane out, uh, get it fueled up and ready for the day. Then. Um, I'll have my list of, of jobs I can do. And depending on, uh, the wind, if I, if I'm putting out a herbicide and, and don't need, you know, have a sensitive crop next to it, um, I, you know, gotta make sure the wind's right to keep it off of the other crops or anything like that. So it doesn't, uh, you know, doesn't hurt anything else. So I, I go through that in my list, say, okay, you know, the wind's this today, I can do this job. So the uh, farmer gives us the acreage, uh, what fields he wants to do. Sometimes it's, I'm doing, uh, you know, up to five, six fields for one farmer that could possibly be in, you know, a little bit scattered out through our area. And uh, so I do that. He gives me what product we're going to use and the rate at what we're going to use it at. And that that varies, uh, you know, big time just depends on what product it is. But um, they give me, you know, say an ounce to the acre. So I figure up acres, how many ounces we're going to use, and then make a uh, what we call a load sheet, which is for my, my mixer guy. And it's saying this product, this many gallons, this product, this many gallons. And then uh, I write down the field names on that load sheet so I can type them in later into our computer. Uh, and we, uh, I give that to him. He gets a product out, starts uh, getting it mixed up. And then I hop in a plane. I may call the farmers or yeah, most of the time he knows that I'm going to be on him that morning so hop in the plane get it going get the get the products loaded in the plane and just go go spray we we usually fly around the field just to just to be safe and check for anything you know sometimes we have a problem with wires for sure so <laughs> you, you fly around just even you know sometimes i fly i fly these fields six seven times a, a year it seems like and and i still 
try to check it out and make sure nothing new is is popped up, you know, within the field. So uh, then it depends with uh, certain rates that I do as far as uh, gallons per acre when we spray. I can either do 130 acres a load or I can do 80 acres a load and up to or down to 40 acres a load just depends on how much water or volume i'm putting out per mm-hmm. uh yeah it depends on the job but uh so if we have something with you know a couple hundred acres i'll do three loads you know two or three loads on that one field just trying to get it all complete uh and we we literally work in, until the work's done pretty much and if um you know stop for lunch real quick and grab a bite to eat and uh and then hop back in the airplane and and get back after it so in a busy time we'll we'll fly literally all day yeah so um you know i've, I've flown from sun up to sundown and when I shut down, the runway lights are on. So, <laughs> uh, you know, it all depends. And we also do uh, granule fertilizer on uh, mainly rice, but uh, that with the with the fertilizer, you're not doing many acres per load. So, if you've got a field that's 400 acres, you could possibly do you know up to 50 loads on that that whole farm. And so, uh, you're, you're just taking off back and forth, back and forth. And I think in one day I've done maybe 60 loads in a day. Oh, day. So that's 60 takeoff and landings. Yeah. Oh my gosh. So you are current for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> that's hilarious. That's funny. Yeah. I can't even imagine 60 takeoff. That's, that's a, that must wear on you. You got to be tired by the end of the day. Oh, definitely. I sleep good. Yeah, I bet. And then wake up and do it all again, huh? <laughs> yeah. What yeah. um, what kind of weather do you guys deal with? Like, what determines if you fly or not? Is it uh, obviously rain? Probably, maybe not as much. Low clouds, fog. I'm guessing no, but I'm guessing like a thousand foot overcast. You guys could probably still do your job because you're so low to the ground and you don't really need much to operate. Is that about right, or would you you guys look for a little bit more of a safety margin? No, no, that's right. We uh, we are. Our term is ferry at five, stay alive. So we ferry at 500 feet. And, uh, and so, yeah, 1,000 feet is, is no problem for us. And we'll, uh, yeah, different weather, you know, some of these products, they may need, they may need only 30 minutes to sit on the plant mm-hmm. before, you know, uh, before it can get a rain. So we're looking at, you know, okay, is there a rain forecasted later in the afternoon? We'll try to go ahead and get certain jobs done uh, early in the morning, and and that way they have enough time to sit on the on the plant and on the crop before uh, before getting a rain or anything. With uh, what we just did now is uh, cotton defoliation, which is uh, knocking the leaves off the cotton, making it all pretty and white. I know you see my <laughs> pictures of the of the cotton looking pretty yeah. and white, and that's um, you know it's it's usually green and real leafy and stuff but we uh these products knock the knock the leaves off of it and open the cotton bowls up huh. well those products need they say 
12 to 24 hours on some of them. Oh, dang. And, uh, and so you really got to do some planning on that. And, and most of the time they'll, they'll work. Yeah. You know, they'll still work even if, you know, a little pop up shower comes up, you know, 12 hours later. It's, yeah. it, it, you still got, got some time there with that. But, uh, yeah, we're, we're looking at that. We're looking at, um, you know, we usually wait sometimes until the, the dew gets off the crop uh, for some things, and then uh, yeah, we don't really we don't operate in fog. We're looking at wind speeds and direction a lot. Um, I I check that constantly. Yeah, and uh, our our shutoff. You know, we usually you know if, if it gets too windy, I'm I'm not going not going to try it because that you know you're spraying something that is a fine mist coming out of the back of the airplane. They can, they can drift off for oh, sure. Yeah. And so, you're, you're pretty low to the ground already. So even like, you don't know where that, that mist is going to go. And like I said earlier, it could damage a crop or it might be not beneficial for you to actually spray. Yeah. Yes. Sir. And then that also, uh, you know, can, it can make your application not look good. <laughs> Once you go back and look at it again, you might yeah. have some streaks in it or something like that. So, it's all about uh trying to trying to get the best best coverage you can and as fast and efficiently as you can. Right. Tell me a little bit about so when I think of ag pilots and this is probably bad but I generalize and I think of just like cowboys like flying cowboys they're flying <laughs> in between trees they're flying at like 20 feet above the ground they're diving under power lines like they're just doing some crazy stuff it's pretty much what i think is you just do whatever it takes to get the job done is that generally true or are the is the faa like yo guys you can't be flying under power lines like what what's that usually like well we we fly under power lines and and there is a big misconception on on ag pilots, uh, and just like you being a, a freight dog, you know you're <laughs> you're pretty much a flying cowboy, flying oh, all yeah. this cra- yeah. crazy weather, trying to get stuff done, and and yet it needs we you know we need to get the job done, and need to get the field treated mm-hmm. for the farmer, but at the same time, uh, we do take into account you know weather safety uh, and with uh flying under wires, I mean I, I do it all the time. Uh, and we're not we're not cowboys. We're we're businessmen and, and professional pilots. I and feel have like families uh, <laughs> that want you yeah, alive. I mean, all all these uh, the majority of the ag pilots are and it's a huge family oriented business really. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have our conventions every year and people you know they bring their wives and their uh their kids and stuff like that to these conventions and that's that's how it's always been and i've i've always grown up you know seeing my dad's friends whether they fly in or we go see them uh you know and i consider them family and so like uh you know he's got some friends down in south texas you know down there in harlingen and i went and stayed with them and uh, stay with him for about three weeks or so and did some, uh, flying in a bonanza trying to get some complex time and, uh, you know, things like that. So I mean, it, they all end up being just family friends. And when we all get together, it's, it's just like a family reunion pretty That's much. Cool. Uh, 
and we have in our conventions we have numerous continuing education programs uh, we have a, a program within our state conventions that uh, we do and it's anything talking from airport security you know securing your facility to uh, turning you know making the right turns coming out of a field and stuff they got a video called turn smart i think you can find that on youtube but it's all about ag flying and doing the right turns and not not stressing the airplane or or getting yourself in a bind make sure you stay coordinated and, uh, and stuff which i'm guessing is hard because I'm, when i did aerial survey it was maintain lines and i'm guessing it's the same thing with you guys so it's a lot of rudder correction rather than aileron correction is that the same thing yeah definitely oh, yeah. and with our uh our gps is uh and i know i've got a couple pictures that you can see this light bar on the front of the plane like out out in front of the cockpit yeah uh, that light bar is our guidance system that keeps us uh it doesn't keep us on our passes but it tells us where our passes are and it's you know if you're a foot or two off it'll let you know and you got to scoot over you know it's all moving the rudders over just where you can get right back on that line and stuff like that and so uh you know we all everybody their main goal at the end of the day is to go home with their family. And I tell my wife that all the time. She, she just said, be careful, be careful. Don't try to work too hard. I said, I said, babe, my, my goal is to come home to you and the kids every day. Right. Yeah. So that at the end of the day, getting home to the kids and that means it was a good day. Yeah, exactly. It's a refreshing mentality to hear because I have like I don't really consider aero survey the same, but just coming from the aero survey world, it was more like, hey, get the job done as whatever it takes. Like I don't care about your safety or you're flying these crappy planes. So it's just like it's refreshing to hear that a business owner or um, just anyone in that space, that's kind of the mentality. It's like, hey, I know that we need to get this job done, but like the conditions just aren't right. So let's go ahead and uh, let's go home and try tomorrow. You know, there's always tomorrow. Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it sometimes it's kind of hard, you know, telling the farmer that, you know, whenever he's got a bug or something eating his crop up, and you're like, look, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, but we can't, you know, we can't fly right now. It's too windy or, you know, uh, it's getting dark. You know, it's like, well, we, you know, I can't fly, can't fly at night over these fields and stuff. So, <laughs> yeah, do you want to fly at uh, night? No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And uh, actually, in uh, around Arizona and stuff, they do fly at night. They've got uh, you know, they got working lights on the plane that lights up everything in front of them oh, pretty nice. much. Uh, and that's uh, I'm I'm not too familiar with with those practices because we don't we don't do them or deal with them yeah. very much. Well, it's so. two different parts of the world or the country too. So yeah, it's I mean, completely climate, different. Yeah. And and some of them they're they're working at night because it's too hot during the day. So, <laughs> That's right. Uh, being hot, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, yeah. With it being too hot, we got to deal with the plane not flying worth a dang. And yeah, and you're, you're heavy. Hauling, you're hauling a super heavy load, yeah. and uh, also you know possibly dealing with evaporation yeah. as far as you know applying these uh products so have you had any uh scary moments at all flying act pilot like do you have any crazy stories like oh man that one time yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, uh I, there's one field that we have uh that we fly for this customer and it has got 
a stupid amount of wires cutting across it. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember this one just just thinking on it, but uh, I was doing a, a trim pass along some wires. And so I, I was what it, uh, at the end of the job. We we go and we trim up around the edges just so yeah, make sure we get a good coverage on everything. Well, I was trimming up and uh, I was looking off to my right, checking to make sure I was far enough away from the power lines. Well, then I remember there's another power line that cuts across in front of me. Oh, geez. <laughs> and so I I look forward and I see it and I just drop down. I go low and go under the power line. Luckily, it was high enough that that I could go under it. So I just go under it real quick, and then I pull up on the other side of it. Uh, and oh, like I said, I had enough room under it to to do that. So pulled out and then circled around the field again just to kind of say, "All right, let's slow down. Let's get this job done." All right. <laughs> and uh, I bet that got your heart pumping a little bit. Oh yeah, for sure. And. Uh, <laughs> Then every now and then you'll you'll have in a turn or something like that. You might have a hawk or a buzzard like try to, you know, circle in the area or something like that, almost like it's waiting for you to mess up so it could come eat you. But uh <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've 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 hit a bird on the wing and stuff like that. Yeah. Um uh, we've there's been instances where people hit hit and have had the bird come inside oh, the damn. cockpit. So yeah, luckily I haven't had that, but uh there's a there's a new company that's been uh building these new glasses to fit on the front of these uh air tractors and other uh aircraft where it doesn't it doesn't shatter and the and the bird can't come in. It's almost like a bulletproof glass for these air tractors. So <laughs> uh the bird hits and it may it may spider web, you know, across the windshield, but it's not coming in. So that's good. Yeah. So I imagine a cracked windshield at that altitude and with obstacles around is a pretty big deal. So I bet just climb and get out and go home, right? Oh yeah, for uh, sure. Are yeah. you guys when you guys take off are you usually overweight? Like do you have so say like something happened right away, do you have to dump your load to come back and land for structural limitations or can you take off and land with full gross weight? Uh, you can take off and land with it, uh, and it depends on on the circumstance. You know, if you're having engine failure and you can't get in, you know, obviously your engine's not performing. Then right. some people, uh, I had a friend, he he blew a cylinder on the radial, and he was, he was like, "Man, I I just had to dump it in the pasture." Oh, so yeah, yeah uh, somebody said, "So you just got to you can do that," and I was like, "Well, you really don't have time. It's either that or." you know, all that weight comes crashing down. Yeah. So you, uh, you can dump it and get you a little more flying time. <laughs> so, or yeah. gliding time, yeah. I should say. Add, a little, add that extra point one in your logbook. <laughs> yeah. That's funny. And now it is time for the rapid fire section. Today's rapid fire section is sponsored by Sirius XM Aviation. With high-resolution coast-to-coast composite radar and cloud-to-cloud, cloud-to-ground lightning updated every 2.5 minutes along with always available weather products like METARs, ECHOTOPS, and storm tracks. Sirius XM lets you fly confidently knowing that your weather information is available at 500 feet or at your destination 500 miles ahead. Check out aopa.org forward slash Sirius XM to get a two-month free trial to try these products out for yourself. 
Well, hey, man, I got a, a rapid fire section for you if you are ready for it. Awesome. Cool. So uh, let's see. Let's see what I can come up with. What is your favorite airplane to fly? Man, uh, my air tractor's pretty nice. Yeah. It's uh, it's super maneuverable and responsive. Uh, and sometimes it it can be pretty dang fast too, going across <laughs> the across the field. You know, six to ten feet off the ground at oh 140 gosh. miles an hour. So that's crazy. Uh, Has anyone that told you that you're crazy before? Oh, all the time. <laughs> And I, I get a lot of people saying, man, you scared the crap out of me while I was driving down the road. Oh, absolutely. And they're like, did you see me? I was like, man, I wasn't looking at what cars were going through, the, <laughs> going down the road. So, no, I didn't see you. Yeah, that's funny. What's uh, what's the ugliest airplane you've ever seen? Oh, you know, we talk about the Piaggio. <laughs> uh, some, I like them for some reason, so I yeah. can't. I, I'm trying to think on uh, on something. Uh, maybe I know I'm probably gonna get some heat for this, but the the Piper Tripacer. Oh, uh, shots those, fired! Yeah, I know it, man. For uh, some reason, they just look like they're. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> what's uh, what's the most beautiful airplane you've ever seen? It doesn't have to be one you've flown before, but just one you're like, dang, that's cool. Um. Uh, I'm really into the uh, the new Cub Crafters X Cub. Oh yeah, those are that cool. thing looks so ridiculous, and it's like if I won the lottery, yeah, uh, you would see some Instagram posts with me flying a carbon. <laughs> <laughs> you see me flexing on Instagram with a carbon cub. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Those planes are so cool, but they are just so expensive. It blows my mind. Oh yeah, but yeah, what they man. can do is unbelievable. So I guess there's a, a, people buy them. So hey, I mean, more power to them. Yeah. Are you an Android or iOS guy? iOS. iOS. Uh, what's your I favorite? W- I, okay. I was an Android, but then I made the switch, and I, I don't think I can go back. Yeah. Uh, see, I, I just made the switch back to Android. So we'll see. I'll let you guys know back in a year if I'm still with Android <laughs> or go back to yeah. Apple. What's your favorite airline to fly on? Uh, I would have to say Delta. You know, it started out as an ag uh, flying business. Oh, cool. So it started out as crop dusting just right down the road from us, pretty much. So, so there's uh, you might turn your little operation in airline one day? Uh, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. What's, I uh, deal with a lot less people right yeah, now. So. true that. What's your favorite airline livery? Um, you know, Southwest did a... Uh, uh, like a Louisiana inspired livery on one of their planes. Uh, I'd have to say that that'd probably be one of mine. Uh, I do like the uh, American airlines is, it's got a good one right now. Just yeah. the simple with the, with the flag on the tail. Kinda. That tail is just so cool. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What um, would you rather fly for? Uh, would you rather see a sunset or sunrise while you're flying? Ooh. Um, uh, they both have their advantages. Uh, you know, seeing the sunrise, you're you're starting the day off with a with a pretty view, and then at the seeing the sunset, you uh, you know know you had a good day of flying, and it's yeah. time to shut it down and go home. <laughs> so they, I don't know. I enjoy both. You probably look at my Instagram, realize that I I take pictures of both of them. <laughs> that's funny. Yeah, that's true. It's hard not to take those pictures. What uh? What's more challenging? Would you say? Would you say a short runway with obstacles, or maybe a long runway with a high crosswind? 
Uh, I would say uh, maybe a long runway with a crosswind. Yeah. So we've got uh, I've got a couple grass strips that I work off of for uh, when we do our fertilizer, and one of them is actually there's a uh, power line across the end of it, and so I'm dropping down like I'm almost spraying, <laughs> but I'm in landing configuration and coming in under the power line and then landing on the grass strip. So Jeez. <laughs> it's a, uh, it's super fun, man. The type of flying you do is so different than what I do. <laughs> it sounds like a blast. So. Uh, it really is. Uh, and and I, my big deal is, and, and I try to you know tell some people this, if they ever ask about it, it's just like, even we're, we're doing something that very few people get to do. And and it's like be safe, but at the same time, just enjoy it and realize what you're doing. Oh, without a doubt. Because because I mean, you're you know I'm flying you know close to the ground. I'm pulling up real hard or or banking up real high and coming back down into the field and stuff. And it's it's a lot of fun. And whenever you get into some good music and long runs where you can fly for a mile or two, that that's great too. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> All right, my last question for you. This is not a rapid fire anymore, but it's just, what do you guys use for plug-in points in? Do you use ForeFlight? Do you use like an onboard Garmin? What do you kind of rely on most for navigation when you're flying? Well, um, with our, our business, we're, we're doing local stuff. So we're, we're familiar with the farmer. We're familiar with his, his farms. And so the farmer calls me and says, I need to spray field a field b field c gives me the acreage of each of them and when i was watching my dad you know before he or before i started flying these farmers would call him and give him a whole list of field names and i was sitting there thinking how how can you keep up with which field is which whenever because you know you may have a couple different farmers in one area but their fields are scattered out. So they give him a field name and he immediately knows, okay, that's that field. <laughs> and so I was sitting there thinking, how in the world is he keeping up with all these field names? And so then once I started doing it and getting into it and them, you know, telling me the field names, I automatically picture in my head, okay, that's that field. Then he tells me, okay, go spray this field too. And I'm like, okay, well, that's that field. Well, then... <laughs> In my mind, I'm still keeping in that list of, okay, I've done this field. Now I need to go to this field. Yeah. So it's, it's never really any uh, any coordinates. Uh, there are some people that do uh, timber fertilizing, mm-hmm. and uh, and they have coordinates and shape files uh, that they plug into their GPS. Yeah. Uh, our guidance program we have, and uh, and they have it to where they get on their line and they have a trigger on the on the stick and they pull the trigger well as soon as they cross that line which is in that in that plot it will immediately open the gate and start dispersing the fertilizer oh dang and then when you get to the other end you're still holding the trigger you get to the other end it shuts off Hmm. so then all you got to do is get back on your line pull the trigger and if you're going across that one area it's going to open up the gate for you so Nice. It really, really helps out in accuracy uh, Absolutely. and efficiency on that. 
Well, Reed, that's uh, that's awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on and t- trying to tell your story and just talking about what you do. Uh, ag pilots, like I said, have always been cool. It's like the type of flying you do is just looks like so much fun. And I'm glad that we could talk about how it's not really just like uh, wild cowboys going out. You guys know what you're doing and you're trained. And it, it is just encouraging to hear. And I hope people can listen to this and kind of be like, dang, I kind of want to do that. So if anyone here listening to this, you can reach out to Reed. You can reach out to his Instagram and email. He'll probably provide it here in a second. And uh, he can help you out in any way that he can. I appreciate it, man. It's been a fun time. We've been trying to do this for a while now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Gotta love those schedules. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That's awesome, man. Uh, go ahead and provide your Instagram name and an email in case anyone wants to reach out to you. Okay. Uh, my Instagram is at Reed Cahey, uh, R-E-E-D-K-E-A-H-E-Y. I'm not uh, creative enough to come up with a, a good uh, good Instagram name, so I just use my <laughs> name. Uh, and uh, email is readus88 at gmail.com, R-E-E-D-U-S 88 at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, if you got any questions, I'd love to help you out and uh, point you in any direction I can. And hopefully I did the industry justice. (laughs) I think you did, man. (laughs) Hey, I appreciate you coming on and uh, hopefully we'll talk again soon. All right, man. I appreciate it. All right. Have a good one. And that is a wrap on today's episode. Thank you so much for listening to the episode. Like I said, come to Oshkosh RAA booth. It'll be sweet. We got some live recordings and then Garmin on Tuesday. Also tell Mindy that she stole the plane and tell Bayflight, go Bucks if you want to go see her as well. But Aviation, that's it for me. I am on go home day. Got two legs and then a long airline. So I won't be able to see him right away, but can't wait to get home to see the kid. I hope everyone's having a great day. And as always, happy flying.